Alright, there it is. We are live, ladies and gentlemen. Only hours after we finished last week's podcast, President Joe Biden took the stage. Oh, hi, Chris. <laughs> to uh, call the dangerous Trump-supporting Republicans a bunch of fascists. This seems to be continuing a recent trend of Biden putting on a tough guy persona. How will this strategy play out in terms of policy and pushing his agenda? We're going to talk about this and more on episode 362 of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I am your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me today, I've got Jim Likely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today? Good, sir. Uh, I'm doing really well. I was very disappointed. No finger guns today to start. Uh, oh, I didn't do it. Oh. No, you did hands. Oh, you should okay. have done fists like uh, Biden, which we'll show in a minute. But yeah, uh, I, I have a uh, root canal update. Uh, oh, as gosh. I mentioned on the last. Yes. Uh, the good news is I uh, did not have a root canal uh, on Friday. Uh, it was just a consultation. Uh, the bad news is now I need two root canals. Oh, jeez. Well, that's <laughs> so what you get for. If, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not quite as grumpy as I was last week leading mm. into the Friday uh, root canal that I thought I was going to have. So uh, just stay tuned. As you, as usual, every week I'll uh, be extra grumpy and you'll know why. Root canal gate. Got it. We'll stay tuned. Also joining us, we got Justin Haskins, editorial director of the Heartland Institute and co-author of Glenn Beck's latest book, The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. How are you doing today? Good, sir. Uh, I'm I'm doing good. Um, you know, I, I would of all the things that I do that sort of play into the fact that I'm just like the standard white guy. Other than, you know, I, I would say the whitest part about me is that I really do enjoy the pumpkin flavored drinks that come oh, about this time of year. Yeah. Um, you know, it it it's embarrassing in a way. I feel like it's me and five other college aged girls that are ordering them. Um, uh -huh. But finally, the pumpkin latte thing came out today at the local coffee shop, which is new because I'm not from here. So this is a, is a new experience for me. And they use organic puree pumpkin in the drink oh. rather than just the typical crap that they put in at Starbucks. So I'm happy as I could possibly be right did now. You, did you did you have to put on did you have to put on your UGG boots and sweater vest to uh, order that, or did they just give it no. to you and what you're wearing? Uh, <laughs> no, they, they, UGG boots are are encouraged but not required. It's kind of like <laughs> face masks around here. So also also joining us, we've got Chris Talgo, senior editor at the Heartland Institute. How are you today, good sir? Doing good. Tonight is the official opening of the NFL season, uh, so I'm you know pretty excited. Uh, we had our fantasy draft last night, and uh, I think it's going to be a great season ahead of us. Oh, fantastic. Who's, yeah, who's the... playing, by the way? Bills and Rams. Bills and Bills Rams? And Rams. Oh, Bills and Rams, okay. yep. Yes, Bills and, and Rams, it right. looks as if the Chicago Bears are going to have uh, their presentation on what they're going to do in Arlington Heights, if and when that plays out. So that's also something kind of interesting to look forward to here uh, at the, the compound of the Heartland Institute in Arlington Heights. So we'll be just in the, the, the back door of, uh, of the Chicago Bears. So that'll be interesting. 
So we got a lot to get into, but before we do, I have to put that message out there to uh, everyone that's listening, mostly our audio-only listeners that are probably catching this show on a Friday, and telling them that you can join us a day earlier on Thursday at noon central time, where you can uh, find us streaming on Facebook and Rumble and YouTube and Twitter, and you can join in the conversation so you can throw your questions and comments in the stream, and uh, maybe we'll show your comments on the screen, maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Um, so we do have a, a you know, I, I want to get into the, the Joe Biden. I want to dedicate most of this episode to Joe Biden, but I want to talk real briefly about something that we talked about last week, and that is the, uh, the energy rationing that is going on in California. So earlier this week, some California residents once again received a text alert begging them to use less energy while the energy grid strained under high demand due to people using air conditioning because of the heat wave that's going on. So I've got this article that's, uh, and everything I talk about article-wise are in the show notes, but I have this article from Bloomberg, and I want to read just the opening couple paragraphs of this. So it says, a timely mobile alert may have prevented hundreds of thousands of Californians from being plunged into darkness in the middle of a heat wave Tuesday night, just before 5.30 p.m. local time, California's grid operator ordered its highest level of emergency, warning that blackouts were imminent. Then, at 5.48 p.m., the state's Office of Emergency Services sent out a text alert to people in targeted counties asking them to conserve power if they could. Within five minutes, the grid emergency was all but over. So I read this because it's it's written as if it's a success story. And like, you know, uh, like <laughs> this is something to be proud of, you know? And like on one level, I kind of get it. Like people responded quickly. They averted a disaster. It only took five minutes for people re to respond. But on a different level, a more important level, California has a power grid so inadequate that it routinely has to beg people to use less power. So, so Justin, were you on? You weren't on last week. I, let, let's get your thoughts on this. Uh, I don't even if I was on last week, to be honest. Energy rationing. Go ahead. Take it. Take it from the top. I, I mean, look, is anyone surprised at this point? I, one of the things no. that, you know, we we just had a um, you and I just did an episode, uh, recorded an episode of Justin and Donald Save America, a far better show than this one. Oh, um, and okay. um, well, I mean, you know that. You're on that show too. Um, I and, can't admit and, it though. <laughs> and when and when we were recording that show, one of the things that came up, we had Carol Roth on, who's awesome, totally amazing, uh, expert on ESG and financial system and inflation and all that stuff. And one of the things that came up was this idea that so much of what we're seeing with energy um, and all of the craziness that's driving inflation, which is a lot of that's related to energy prices and the rationing and the insanity that's going on in Europe right now and everything with energy prices. This is all so predictable. Right. I mean, people at, people at the Heartland Institute have been talking about this for literally like the entire existence of this organization, like for three <laughs> decades. They've been right. saying, you know, if you go this route, we're going to have all these problems. And every year, every month, every day, practically, we've been saying this forever. And we've now seen the effects of that. Like, right. it's actually all the things that we said, you know, if you go this in this direction, it's going to keep getting worse. And it's slowly been getting worse. Not everywhere, but in certain places, it's slowly been getting worse. And in Cal California is now, and Europe, 
These are the poster children for what really terrible economic and energy policy looks like. We Everything that we've been saying for decades is coming true. It's, it's being right. proven in real time. And it, it's not just in California. It's not just in Europe. It's literally everywhere in the world. The places that are pursuing energy policy that that emphasizes getting the uh, a balancing uh, affordable energy with clean energy, they're focusing on natural gas and things like that. Those economies are booming. The places that are dependent on energy that makes no sense, like wind and solar, which is not good for the environment and requires lots of mining, and the cobalt that's used in a lot of these processes is mined by little children in Africa mm. and all of that stuff. And it's really expensive and really inefficient and you can't run it all the time and it's completely unproven. All of those technology, the places that are relying on those are seeing their energy prices skyrocket. Right. And it's like, how many, how much evidence and data do you need before you realize, you know what? We screwed up. We screwed up. We shouldn't have well, gone that route. Well, to, to, you know, and Jim made this point last week, um, but there are a lot of people that are surprised by this. And the reason why they're surprised by this is because the media, by and large, ignores the messages that we have to say because it's tainted with climate uh, denialism or something like that. So they don't put in any uh, potential uh, repercussions of these of these wrong headed plans because it's going to be it's going to look like it's climate denialism. So they don't put our, our warnings in there. So these people that are only seeing the mainstream media, the corporate media, they are surprised when all of the, these plans go south. Like it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Obviously it's very predictable for us, but people that aren't like tuning into this show or going to heartland.org or seeing like the truth about these matters, they are very surprised by this. Yeah. As I said last week, the media doesn't even report any, there's no pushback to this, yeah. to this green fantasy at all. The, right. the, the, the general public actually believes that we can transition to a fully green renewable uh, energy system and keep our standard of living. We can't, it is literally impossible. We cannot mine enough copper for all the transmission lines that will be necessary to bring power from wind turbines, which will ruin the environment, uh, destroy the environment and destroy lots of birds. The solar panels, which will severely disrupt uh, wild ecosystems. They don't care. See, these, these environmentalists say they care about the environment. They actually don't because they don't care about the utter destruction of our, of our landscape through all of this instead of small footprints like a coal plant or a natural gas plant or a, a nuclear power plant. And so they don't see any skepticism of these fantasies in any of the media that they normally consume, all the corporate media, CNN, MSNBC. You know, I have friends and family members that, you know, I don't talk about these kind of things all the time in my private life. Right. But sometimes these things come up and they have no idea that these things right. happen because they get their news from these, these organizations. What I, what I find really funny is that uh, speaking of California, a uh, friend of mine sent me an email just a couple, about an hour before we went, uh, started this podcast today. Our idiot energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm, went out to California last week for a media tour of the state. Just as this uh, energy crisis was starting to gain <laughs> steam uh, in California. And she said, quote, California is in the lead and can show the rest of the nation how it's done. I love the fact that California is unabashedly bold about energy policy. Oh, it's, it's great. The, it's paying yeah, off for them. Yeah. And then the kicker, California is the canary in a coal mine. And as uh, noted in the email from my friend, apparently nobody told Jennifer that the canary dies. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's the whole point. That's the whole yeah, point. We're so, calling yes, them so the canary in the coal mine. That's yes. what we should be saying. <laughs> it's a hundred percent right. California is the canary in a coal mine, and we're all doomed. Uh, so, so um, this idea of like a tech text message going out to to tell everyone not to use any power. So apparently, this is going to just be the way of the future uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, because you know their energy system doesn't seem like it's going in the right path. We've been talking about this endlessly, but also because like this type of system is apparently being like factored into a whole bunch of other stuff. So I've been doing a lot of research on uh, the World Economic Forum, and they have you know because all the great reset stuff. And they have like an entire part of their website dedicated to this concept of smart cities. And this is the idea that like technology is going to be used to uh, and utilized within cities to make like people's lives better, to uh, more efficiently, more efficient uses of energy, all that type of stuff. And they talk about how this technology is going to be used uh, for to help protect the environment, uh, to help uh, the transportation system, to help uh, energy efficiency in buildings and all of that. So in this infographic and I, I i should pull it up for you because this is real uh they have an example of how this technology can be used to to fix all of these different things and the example that they have for and i want your your reaction so put me on the screen with everyone showing uh the, for the example of the um how they're going to protect the environment they say that there's going to be sensors that are going to be gauging the flow in the sewer systems and to see how much, you know, the sewer systems are overloaded. And if the sensors detect that the sewer systems are getting overloaded, they are going to send text alerts to people telling them not to flush their toilets. I, I swear this is real. It's called don'tflush.me. It's an actual thing on the World Economic Forum's like papers talking about these smart cities. So what was once just relegated to like stopping you from using too much energy when the grid is overloaded is also going to be applied to you not using your toilet when the sewer system is <laughs> overloaded. I mean, Chris, is this type type of like top down, like centrally controlled uh, uh, system? Is this just something that we're all going to have to live with? Or what do you think? Uh, well, I hope not. Um, I think <clears throat> the uh, the California situation is about conditioning. I think they're trying to condition their population into accepting uh, a lower standard of living. And if that means, okay, between the hours of four o'clock and 9 p.m., you must set your thermostats to 78 degrees and not use large appliances. Or your toilet. Just, or your toilet for that. Matter. <laughs> just, just hold it for five hours. You know, it's hard, really hard. But uh, I think this is part of a, a, a longer term plan to condition uh, societies into uh, having lower expectations. And um, it's just really sad because California, not that long ago, was, uh, you know, the, the land of opportunity. And, you know, in the past few decades, California has devolved into a crime ridden, uh, you know, uh, Third, third world type, like failed state with, you know, a humongous ho uh, homeless population. The income inequality in California right. is just off the charts. And Donnie, I think it's it's almost like a return to the feudal, like to the feudal uh, uh, era where right. the serfs live, especially in California, the serfs live down in the valley. And, uh, you know, the Nancy Pelosi's and the Gavin Newsom's, they live high in the Hollywood Hills and they <laughs> just tell the, you know, the peasants, you know, below them, literally and figuratively, <laughs> right. uh, you know what? You don't need to use your, your, you know, appliances between these hours and set your thermostat at 78 degrees, even if it's 104 degrees outside and, you know, just sweat it out. So it, gosh, it's just so frustrating because this is all self-inflicted. It does not have to be this way. 
However, California is our large, you know, the largest state in the union and uh, LA County is the most populous uh, county in the union. And if they're just, you know, cramming these types of policies, you know, down uh, the throat of the public, it, you know, it, it makes me concerned that it, this is, this is the, uh, the, the future. Uh, gentlemen, any, any parting words on this topic, uh, or else I want to jump into our main topic. So we have plenty of time to talk about it. Well, you know, I'm always a pessimist. So I'm always looking out for the dystopian future that's right around the corner. And in my wildest dreams, I never would have thought the government would have been monitoring my bowel movement schedule, but <laughs> that's not even in the future. Mistake, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. There's nothing. Yeah. There's no, there is, there is no end to what the government will monitor. They don't. They don't That's, care at all. I remember yeah. actually several years ago, I wrote back. Oh, actually, it was, this was like maybe the first year that I was working here. I got an article on Drudge Report, which used to matter because Drudge Report used to be good. And it was uh, it was about how the EPA was launched a program under Barack Obama back when he was president, um, monitoring showers in uh, hotels because they were concerned about how long people take showers and they were trying to come up with some sort of a study to, to estimate what people should do with their shower time and hotels and all this other stuff. It was really bad for the planet and how much water use. So, I mean, that was, if you're, if, I mean, showers and toilets really aren't that far apart from each other. They're in the same room. So, I mean, it's not that shocking that they would just move over to the other thing that consumes water in the room. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, just get ready for it, folks. Get ready for it. We're going to have plenty more to talk about that in the future. But, uh, so I do want to jump to our main topic, the topic of Joe Biden, right? So, or dark Brandon. So gather around folks here. Let's put me in single screen. There we go. Gather around folks. Let me tell you about the legend of dark Brandon. So back in the earliest days of the 2020s, there existed a man named Joe Biden. Despite becoming president of the most powerful country on the planet, Biden was an incompetent leader beset by numerous policy failures. From Afghanistan and Build Back Better to skyrocketing inflation and gas prices, poor old Joe Biden couldn't seem to do anything right. Following this rampant failure was a chorus of ridicule. As the weeks of his presidency passed, F. Joe Biden turned into Let's Go Brandon. Gas pumps were decorated with stickers that read, I did that. Uh, it seemed like poor old Brandon was destined to become a one-term president. But then... Out of the ashes comes a new version of Joe Biden, a Joe Biden that oversaw the passing of the Inflation Reduction Act, a Joe Biden that now is seeing gas prices drop substantially from their all-time highs, a Joe Biden that doesn't seem to take shit from anybody anymore, a Joe Biden who is going to go after his political opponents like we haven't ever seen since the mid-1800s. No, it wasn't even Joe Biden at all. Behold the rise of Dark Brandon. <laughs> Quality and democracy are under assault. We do ourselves no favor to pretend otherwise. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump it. and the MAGA Republicans <laughs> represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Oh the Republican gosh. Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. <laughs> And you, that is a threat to this country. MAGA Republicans do not respect the Constitution. <laughs> they do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. They refuse to accept the results of a free election. And they're working right now 
as I speak in state after state to give power to decide elections in America to partisans and cronies, empowering election deniers to undermine democracy itself. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards, backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. They promote authoritarian leaders and they fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights, Sorry, to TM. the pursuit of justice, <laughs> to the rule of law, to the very soul of this country. Yeah. So like I mentioned uh, before, this speech was given the night after we recorded last week's podcast. So surely by now, everyone's seen at least some response to this. Uh, it was clearly, based on the clip, very divisive. Uh, more divisive than any speech that I've heard any president give in my lifetime. Uh, who wants who wants first first chop at this? I know I know Jim is is chomping at the bit to to get in on this, but if anyone wants to take lead before before he goes into a classic Jim rant, Chris, can, go ahead. Yeah, can I just make one quick point? I'm going to write an op-ed about this tomorrow. Uh, I I I wonder why the uh, Democrats are so concerned about these mega candidates. Then why are they throwing fifty million dollars in their primary uh, uh, races? Hmm. Because the DN Triple C has spent more than 50 million dollars to get uh the the so-called mega you know domestic terrorists semi-fascists uh to win their primaries because they think that they have a better chance of beating them in the uh general election in november so this is complete and utter politics sure this is just 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 shameful you know it it, it just it, it it just makes my blood boil how and it's it's nothing but projection this is this is coming from the party that wants to pack the court, that wants to get rid of the electoral college, that wants to undo so many of the fundamental, uh, you know, governing principles that this country has, you know, had for the past two hundred years. Yet they're calling the other side extremists and fascists and all the, you know, other names in the book that they can come up with. Right. It's it it, it it is just beyond the pale. Yeah, you know, I do want to shift all of this into a policy direction, but like this, this, the optics of this was just so insane that even though this is like a week old story, we just felt like we had to lead off with it. Uh, Jim, I'll, I'll toss it to you unless Justin wants to jump in. Let's go to Mr. Pumpkin Spice first. Maybe some <laughs> thoughts. The nicest thing you've ever said to me, Jim. <laughs> That's um, true. That <laughs> is true. It's sad, but it's, it's true. Uh, so look, I think one of the most amazing things about the Democratic Party over the past six, seven years or so is that every single thing they accuse the Republicans or conservatives or the evil MAGA people of being, they are themselves in the most obvious, transparent ways possible. Like, it's not even something where you have to, you know, tie together a whole bunch of strings on a cork board to piece this, you know, it, it doesn't require a lot of thinking. It's really straightforward. When you have a president of the United States standing with military in the background with a creepy red colored backdrop as if he's, I don't know, Stalin you know, Mussolini, you name the fascist, accusing the other side of being fascists. 
while he's advocating for literally fascist policies mm -hmm. throughout his entire government, which he's been doing, because the Democrats apparently have no idea what fascism actually is. They don't know what it is, because if they knew what fascism is, then they would stop calling Republicans fascists because it's impossible to be a fascist and want less federal government involvement in your life. That's not possible. The whole concept of fascism involves a strong, powerful, centralized national government. That's the whole point of fascism. That's one of the main distinguishing features of it. And Republicans, including Donald Trump, who they accuse of being the fascist of all fascists, cut more regulations and taxes than any president we've had in a long, long time. So how can he be the fascist? And then, and the idea that having states, giving states more rights makes them, makes us fascist also makes no sense because we're decentralizing power. So that makes no sense. The optics of it made him look like a fascist, obviously. But then even if you want to go to the number one thing, which he referenced in a variety of different ways through his incredibly inspiring speech uh, of <laughs> the idea of stealing elections or not caring about democracy or this idea that they don't believe in democratic elections and all this stuff, right? Which he referenced, again, in a bunch of different ways, just in the clips we saw there. And I'm sure he did it a million other times throughout the speech as well. This is the same group of people that for two years said the election of Donald Trump winning in 2016 was, was a stolen, illegitimate election that only happened because of Russian collusion, the involvement in all of these wild conspiracy theories that they had about the president of the United States being blackmailed by Vladimir Putin because there was pornographic video, secret pornographic videotapes of Donald Trump from Russian hotels. Like this was the kind of stuff they were saying for years. So think about this. This is, this is a guy where the optics are obviously fascistic advocating for fascistic policies, accusing the other side of being fascist on the basis of them not, of some of them believing that the 2020 election was not a valid election when they had been advocating for years that the 2016 election was not an, a valid election. Like literally every single word that comes out of this guy's mouth is, is just a, 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 accusing Republicans, accusing the right of being whatever it is they're, they're saying this week is something that they themselves are openly calling for. A lack of privacy, a lack of individual <laughs> rights, not respecting the constitution. I mean, this is laughable. This is the same people who want who are openly opposed to the second amendment, which I'm pretty sure is part of the constitution last time I checked. So, on what what free speech? These are the free speech advocates. Like literally name the right. What is the right in the constitution? Uh, the only thing that they could point to, li and literally the only thing that they would say when they're talking about freedom and privacy and all this crap is abortion. That's the only thing. And 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 regardless of what you think of abortion, you're watching this video, there is nothing in the constitution that says anything about it. Nothing. Nothing, nothing about healthcare privacy, nothing about abortion, nothing about nothing. It's not even mentioned. It's not even referenced in passing. And why would it be? The people who wrote the constitution didn't think it should be a right anyway. They were opposed to it. So the whole, but you know what is the second amendment and the first amendment and all these other amendments that they don't care about. The 10th amendment, which actually does deal with this issue of, 
of Roe v. Wade and who has the ability to, to make uh, these decisions, right? Because the 10th Amendment very clearly says those rights, those powers not given to the federal government belong to the states or to the people respectively. Is that their position on, on abortion rights? No. So it's just, it's just sort of the pinnacle, I think. This was the pinnacle moment of hypocrisy in American politics. And I think we're at the point now where the only people who could have watched this and not come <laughs> away with saying, oh my God, like the president of the United States is a hypocrite. He looks like a fascist. He looks like an authoritarian. He's maybe the most divisive president we've ever had are either people who are so partisan and so unwilling to see what's right in front of their face that they they can't, they just can't even comprehend what is obvious. Or um, people like us who think, who are saying exactly the same sorts of things that I'm saying right now. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of other people who just don't even pay attention anymore because of how screwed up our political system is. And that's, that's pretty much where we're at. I mean, if, if you, you really need to completely re-examine your life if you can't see why that video is not both terrifying and hypocritical and really dangerous when you think about it. Because for all the talk about January 6th and everything else, this is a guy using incredibly divisive, incredibly dangerous language with the military backdrop behind him, um, accusing the other side of being very, treasonous. very radical. Yeah, treasonous, <laughs> essentially. I mean, yeah. where is where is the media? Uh, it, it, um, we already know where the media is. They, they don't <laughs> yeah. care. But, yeah, but carrying but water for a, them. This is a dangerous dangerous moment in in history it really is because this is the president of the united states uh, it, saying these things about a massive part of the population in the wake of two previous elections where both sides were saying the election had been stolen i mean we really are in a dangerous moment and if we do not find a way as a country to get some common ground and to step back and realize we're going down a, a very dark road we are going to find ourselves with blood on the streets. I really think that that's going to happen. And I, I just, yeah. all, I just hope that this is a wake up call for people. It, I don't think it is, but I hope that it is. Jim. Uh, I mean, you, everyone that watches this podcast knows that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Trump fan. I like the guy, but uh, I don't remember. I'm trying to strain my brain and maybe I'm biased because of my, my fandom of him, but I don't remember him calling out, huge swaths of the of the democratic fan base or a uh, voter base as being some type of fascist or whatever he'll go after certain politicians he'll call cnn fake news but i don't think he ever went to this level what do you think no he didn't uh the i don't know if it was uh, saul linsky or maybe it was stalin or you know Goebbels or something i don't know Same but thing. they had yeah <laughs> but they said accuse your opponents of exactly what you were doing especially mm -hmm in this case, when you're up to something no good. Uh, and that's exactly what all this is. I said it on the podcast last week. I say it a lot. You know, to understand the left, you just have to think projection. They project upon their political opponents everything that they think and everything that they are, are doing. And this is the case uh, in this one. Uh, the only true sentence, the only the only sentence that actually made logical sense that Joe Biden said in this, in this as you said, Justin, terrifying, really, speech, unprecedented, was that too much of what happening today is not normal. And it's right. it's true. 
this is a, a president calling 74 million people, half this country, half the voters in this country, a that they that they are consumed with an extremism that quote threatens the very foundations of our republic, and that violates the very soul of the nation. And that, you know, he tried to walk this back the other day saying, no, I don't think uh, Trump, any Trump voters feel these things. You said it the, the previous night, Biden, and, and to, I guess to their very small credit, the media is not, at least some of the media, are not letting him get away with that. Because he said the GOP is dominated by Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that fact, in his mind, is a threat to the country. And as noted before, you know, don't they, we don't respect supposedly don't, we don't respect the Constitution. We won't accept the results of a free election. The Democratic Party has not accepted the results of a presidential election since 1988. <laughs> every other every other time a Republican has won, they have not accepted the results. So shut up about that. I'm tired of hearing about that garbage either. Not even to think about things recently in these in these times. Uh, and the idea that, you know, uh, <laughs> working to give power to their cronies, the the the. Uh, and elected in their partisans to control, uh, you know, who, who wins elections. Again, don't even get me started. Again, it's all projection. I mean, look, you know, if you just look at what happened in Pennsylvania in the two, in the 2020 election, you know, in Michigan, you know, suddenly, you know, a hundred thousand votes show up and they're all for Biden, you know, in the middle of the night, they say they're going to stop counting to get the Republicans to leave the room and then start counting again. Do you think, do you think MAGA people did that? When MAGA people were trying to watch the election counting in some of these states, the election, the cronies of the Democratic Party boarded up the windows so people could look in and observe what was going on. This is all on tape and this is all projection from him. But the re one of the reasons this is dangerous, I mean, you guys should remember the name James Hodgkinson. He's the man who uh, went to the, the congressional, the Republicans practicing for the congressional baseball game with the intent of assassinating several Republican sitting congressmen. And why did he do that? Because he watched MSNBC a lot, uh, apparently watched a lot of Rachel Maddow, and was told by the people he listened to that the Republican health care plan was going to kill millions of people. It's the kind of rhetoric that is just routine in our in our politics these days. And this guy wanted to, to do a mass assassination of Republicans based on him being inspired by that. And hmm. this president at this time says this stuff? That the very foundation of our republic is at risk by half this country, and there will be. Uh, you know, I, we pray that it won't come to that. But if, if just saying that the Republican health care plan is going to kill people uh, can inspire someone like James Hodgkinson, what do you think a speech like this is going to do? Because if you watched MSNBC, Chris and CNN, Chris, you do that, so I don't have to do it. I'll watch a clip or two on on Twitter. All of the commentators on CNN and MSNBC praised the speech. They said it was great. <laughs> This is exactly the message America needs. This is yeah. crazy. And then and then just what, you know, we, we have the time. I just one more thing. I just because I want to talk about some of the, quote unquote, more reasonable things that Joe Biden said in this speech, uh, along with saying that the OK, he said that the MAGA agenda, the MAGA agenda is a threat to the nation. So what is the MAGA agenda? Uh, it's energy independence. It's uh, no more foreign wars, uh, no forced vaccinations. Uh, let's get these useless and burdensome regulations out of the way of business so we can have a thriving economy. Um, draining the swamp. Draining the swamp. You secure know, border. The, secure border, letting people keep more of what they earn by lowering taxes. That's the MAGA agenda. What, what do you think? Does he think half, the, half this country was voting for some kind of authoritarian? Where is the authoritarian MAGA folks? Where are they? 
Where are these authoritarians that MAGAs are worshiping? They don't exist. And Trump was not an authoritarian either. Uh, he was not a dictator. When when COVID hit this country, he did not. Um, okay, so we had some lockdowns and all that stuff. But he he said repeatedly because he was asked, pressed, you got to lock down the country. And he's like, you know, that's more of a state and local issue. I'm going to leave it to them to do it. And so we had blue states like Illinois you know, severe lockdowns and shutdowns, schools closed, non-essential businesses closed, people's lives ruined. But in states like Florida, where they don't have a, a dummy blue uh, Democrat governor, they had freedom. And so Trump, the authoritarian, left it to the states, embraced federalism, the de-evolution of power from himself to others. Yet he's a totalitarian. Uh, so maybe uh, is DeSantis an authoritarian? Is, is that who he was hinting at because of he could be a potential opponent for Joe Biden uh, in 2022 as well? Yes. No. Well, how? I mean, he signed legislation, uh, you know, banning masks in schools. He didn't order it. He signed a piece of legislation uh, teaching sex education to five year olds. You know, the legislature says we don't want that. He signed a piece of legislation to make that done. That's not authoritarian. That's how a republic works. And, That's how democracy works in this country. And so this is a complete fantasy. And they keep pushing this idea. And they've done it from the minute Trump was running for president. That he's some kind of dictator and authoritarian. And then we have this president with a backdrop like it was something out of the empire in Star Wars with his imperial guards behind him and blood red lights behind him, <laughs> warning the country that half of the people around you want to destroy this nation. Yet Trump, Trump is the fascist. Trump is the authoritarian. Trump is the Trump is the real danger. It's mind blowing, and I really do pray with you, Jay, uh, Justin, that this will not it will not come to violence in the streets. But it seems like they really, really want it. And Donnie, just going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, uh, the California uh, car ban and 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 how bad things are in California. Remember that was not passed by the legislature. That was passed mm. by a board the California Air Resources Board. Lots of the things that Joe uh, Biden has done besides, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act and the American Rescue Plan has almost exclusively been done by bureaucrats. Hmm. And this is this. I think this goes back to, you know, Barack Obama. I've got my pen in my phone. So when when I when I can't get everything I want to get done through Congress, just do my little end around. And I think that Joe Biden has done that much, much more uh, frequently. And he's increased the uh, the scope of it. And I, and I, I very, uh, concerned that after the uh, midterm elections, he's going to be a lame duck. If not, already, if not already, mm -hmm. uh, he, he's just gonna, he's going to go even, even, uh, more in that direction where he just, you know, has his executive departments and bureaucrats just start, uh, you know, basically passing laws. Yeah. And you know, I, and I, I just want to real quick, I just want to add one real quick thing, uh, before we move on. I think that's a great point. It's obviously, a sign of fascism when you are and and not being involved in, in in having democratically elected representatives writing bills and passing laws to make decisions instead you just do it yourself through the central right. government that is fascism but the, but the other thing going back to some of the stuff that that Jim said when you couple this kind of language which has been going on now for a long long time and you couple this really extremist language with this idea that not just democracy is at stake or you know that they that 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 the right in America doesn't like democratically elected elections or whatever but when you couple these kinds of ideas with we're all going to die from climate change 
Okay. Mm-hmm. If, if you get a, if enough people actually believe those two things, then yeah, you could justify almost anything. You could justify almost any authoritarian action well, imaginable, not just from the government, but just from people in the street, just vigilantes. Because if the choices are either you be an authoritarian or everyone dies and, and the world, you know, literally is lifeless or nearly mm-hmm. lifeless, or whole cities get swallowed up by oceans and everyone, you know, millions of people are dead, then it, what's the more moral course of action? And that is that is like literally what Antifa and these radical type groups, that's the kind of stuff they Extinction say. Extinction rebellion. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, so I had a couple of other things that I wanted to get to before uh, I got into some of the, the, the policy aspects of this, but Justin's comment segues perfectly into one of the things that I wanted to talk about. And that is some of the potential actions that this Biden administration may be taking if he does embrace this like, uh, you, you know, hard nose, I'm just going to ram through my 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 political will, my agenda, regardless of whatever the political blowback might be, which I think is what all of this is kind of amounting to. So I've got this article, it's the Washington Post article, how Biden could help us reach climate goals on his own. So it says, while the Inflation Reduction Act Act will help make a significant cut in U.S. emissions, estimates suggest it won't be enough to help the country reach its climate targets. Wow, surprise, surprise. President Biden's use of executive action, experts say, will be a key element in driving further change. The Biden administration has already undertaken dozens of executive actions on climate, but a new report out Monday details what could lie ahead. Activists are pushing White House officials who are eager eager to mobilize the party's base in the November election and are less worried about alienating centrist lawmakers uh, over energy policy to do more. So this is exactly what I'm talking about. This article is referencing exactly what I've been talking about. Says the 99 page report published by the Revolving Door Project, an initiative of the liberal think tank center for economic and policy research, lays out potential executive branch policies available under current law, even without the declaration of a climate emergency, which could open up some additional powers. So now this is a quote. We're trying to advocate for this administration to take seriously a whole of government approach to a crisis of apocalyptic proportions, says Tony Aguilar Rosenthal, a researcher with the Revolving Door Project and one of the uh, report's authors. There exists massive but wildly underutilized authorities that could do real good for real people today. We're asking the administration to do that, to take those steps right now and to service that crisis to meet it where it is. So this is exactly what Justin was talking about. This is exactly what I've been talking about, that uh, you know that Biden could say like, hey, to fight climate change, we have to do all of this stuff. And no, we're not going to wait for Congress to do it. I'm going to unilaterally do it with executive action. Jim, I'm kind of surprised that like they haven't done more of this, uh, especially, you know, with all the rhetoric of the the world's ending and all of that stuff. Um, So do you think it's just a matter of time before this happens? What do you think? I I think, yeah, I mean, it's a matter of time. And if the shellacking in November comes about as anticipated, although it may be closer than we think, who knows what the polls are saying these days, maybe that maybe that uh, totalitarian uh, speech by Biden will actually inspire his base to come out. And that's actually what that speech was all about. It was a political speech. It was not a policy speech. It was not It was not really about um, Biden's true concern 
about protecting the soul of the nation. It was to rally his base because, you know, Democrats seem convinced that, uh, you know, you to get them excited, they have to feel like they're saving the world at all times. You know, your average conservative or Republican voter is just like, you know, I'll vote for the least worst guy who might give me a little bit more freedom, might make, might make it easier to run my business or something like that. No, no. Democrat voters, they're saving the world. Uh, and so if they fail to save the world, uh, inspired by right. Biden in November, yeah, you're going to see a lot of these uh, executive actions, especially on climate. I mean, within a week of the West Virginia EPA decision, uh, his administration was already trying to figure out ways to work around it. And as you're reading that story from the Washington Post, which is smiling in its tone upon these, what's the word for it? Authoritarian actions by this president. <laughs> I was reminded that D Donald Trump could do nothing. Donald Trump tried to exercise his legitimate power as the executive. And he was he was resisted by the media and the establishment and the deep state and his own bureaucracy at every single turn. And here we have a story in The Washington Post that says, hey, you know what? Uh, elections, they don't really matter because this president should just be able to take take any action necessary to save the climate and for all of these other things. Uh, you know, Donald Trump was not allowed to even do his legitimate executive uh, authority. And, uh, and and now we have this media, our, our corrupt corporate media, trying to lay the groundwork to make every excuse in the book for Biden to act unlawfully and authoritarian. Chris, this uh, it even mentions it in the article here that uh, Joe Biden has, has undertaken dozens of executive actions on climate. Uh, it seems like every presidency for the last several presidency has just ramped up their executive order usage of executive orders. I, I can't imagine you're going to say that we should expect anything different uh, in the remaining years of the Joe Biden's first term. Absolutely not. Uh, you know, I know we're talking mostly about uh, his executive actions in uh, in response to climate change. But look at what he just did a couple of weeks ago with student loans. He just, you yeah, know, just right. just just decided one morning that he could just, uh, you know, wipe away up to a trillion dollars in, in federal student loans. I mean, I don't know where in the constitution the president is allowed to do that but you know hopefully we'll get some uh some you know court cases against that but uh i, I think that this is a uh a, a desperate move i think that the the democrats are somewhat uh worried about uh the november elections although i you know do i watch a lot of you know politics on tv and some of the polls are showing that they're you know uh, making a comeback and a lot of that could be tied to the abortion issue but whatever uh, but I think that they are uh, laying the groundwork for if they lose uh, either House of Congress or both, that they would then just say, OK, fine. Well, now we're just going to really, uh, you know, jump on the uh, executive uh, action, uh, you know, uh, strategy. And I, I, I don't know where like like where that would stop. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I think that unfortunately, uh, you know, for the you know, for for many, many decades, uh, Congress has, uh, you know, has not exercised its uh, constitutional authority in terms of uh, checking the executive branch. And I fear that uh, Congress is just going to uh, kowtow and allow uh, the president to exercise even more uh, unconstitutional powers just because he happens to be a Democrat and just right. because the, the vast majority of the mass media happen to be uh, you know, in in line ideologically, and and just like we said, and this point cannot be stressed enough. Uh, President Trump had a couple of executive actions that the uh, press immediately jumped on. Uh, it's literally like day one. Uh, you know the 
the Muslim ban from uh, certain countries all the way to the uh, border wall, you know, they they were, you know, up in arms about that. But sure. Joe Biden can, uh, you know, get away it's all with for the greater good, Chris. Well, it's all for the greater good. Of course. But, you know, different rules apply. So I, sure. I would I, I would not be surprised at all if they were to go on a uh, just a tear of uh, executive orders in uh, the past in the next two years. Justin, uh, you kind of started off this uh, unknowingly started off this conversation <laughs> about the the climate climate policy and all of that. So I'll give you one more opportunity to hop on this, or I'll move to a different policy subject. Well, are Hearing we, are nothing, I'll move on to a different policy subject. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is another. I was just kind of looking around, like what can we anticipate out of a, another uh, couple of years of this Biden administration? So obviously, climate—that's that's one thing. But another thing that I don't know, it really wasn't news to me until I was starting to to do my research for this. But uh, it seems like he's coming out swinging against the, the Second Amendment lately. So about a week ago, during a speech, Biden proclaimed. Uh, we beat the NRA. We took them on and we beat the NRA straight up. We have no idea how uh, you have no idea how intimidating they are to elected officials, said Joe Biden. We're not stopping here. I'm determined to ban assault weapons in this country. Determined. I did it once before and I'll do it again. So apparently this is a part of his promotion of this safer America plan, which again, I wasn't aware of until I started doing the research for this. I have a fact sheet from the White House in the show notes that I didn't give to you, Andy. I did this this morning. And the fact sheet issued by the White House paints this plan, this safer America plan, as a pro-law enforcement bill. It talks about more adequately funding police, hiring more cops, investing in crime prevention in a fairer criminal justice system and increasing firearm background checks. And this does not include anything about banning assault weapons. Um, so I don't know, maybe this is a more recent addition in the speech that he gave a week ago, but I wonder, uh, and I don't know if who's kind of prepared to talk about this because this is a little bit of a, uh, out of left field for you, but do you think that this is going to be like the next big legislative push for Joe Biden, the supposed safer America plan? Um, uh, Justin or, or Jim, are you familiar with this? I bet Chris is just because he's probably seen it on CNN. <laughs> Anyone care to comment? Uh, I, 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 so my standard position on any of these things having to do with gun restrictions coming from the left is that they always have something in the holster so to speak, but they don't <laughs> <Pun> actually, <laughs> but they don't know, you know, I never intend puns, but, <laughs> um, but they only use it right after a mass shooting. Sure. So that's the rule. They never even try unless there's been a mass shooting of some kind. So my guess is they're probably going to wait for that. Now uh, it seems like the focus on, um, sort of beefing up the police and stuff like that, that actually might, that kind of, th that suggests to me that maybe they will try to push this through right away, at least right. that aspect of it, because they know that that's a winner uh, for the midterms. Sure. And so they might just try to try to steal some headlines by saying, yeah, you know, we're making America safe. That's why they titled it the way that they titled it. Um, so I think that that could be what's going on here. This could just be like a political move to try to show people that actually we are tough on crime, even though our cities are crime ridden and, you know, the whole 
Black Lives Matters, defund the police thing. But, you know, forget about all that. We're now tough on crime. <laughs> yeah. And I, th I think that's probably what this is more than anything having to do with gun restrictions. I, I think that's what they're going for. Jim, Jim and Chris, I also want to bring up uh, supposedly Joe Biden taking on Big Pharma. So if you want to comment on this gun thing, this potential ban on assault weapons, the Safer America Act, feel free or else I'm going to segue quickly into that. I'll just say quickly that uh, one of the things that Biden said in his speech was that the mega Republicans embrace chaos. You know, mm -hmm. we just embrace chaos. Um, no, it's not the mega Republicans who want to defund the police and also disarm you to make our and as it's not mega Republicans who are mayors of these cities that have become that crime and murder and rape and violent crime in, in almost every major city in the United States is skyrocketing after uh, the BLM riots. They just basically, you know, uh, cops, I guess, I don't know the numbers, but we don't have enough new recruits for the police in Chicago to replace the ones that are retiring. And a right. lot are retiring early because they're tired of being attacked and smeared. And if they do their job um, incorrectly, they could their whole lives could be ruined. So if I was a cop near retirement age, I would take it early and get out. And so the, the crime waves that we're seeing in all these cities is going to get worse because it's going to be hard to find anybody who wants to be policemen in a major metropolitan area, while again, at the same time, making it harder for Americans to defend themselves against, you know, crime, which is one of the things that you would own a gun for. Donnie, just, just one super quick point on this. Uh, in, in his speech, he also tried to portray MAGA Republicans as uh, politically violent when we all know that it was the left in the 2020 riots that were, you know, engaging in political vi uh, violence. And uh, it was the left who tried to assassinate a Supreme Court justice this summer. Um, but I think that they are concerned with the uh, the, the rise in crime across uh, urban urban uh, centers. And I think that this is just a political ploy because they know that come November, uh, some Americans are going to vote just, you know, just based on that issue alone. Yeah, I just wonder if this is going to be one of these Inflation Reduction Act type of things. Yeah. Where it's, oh, it's all about protecting the cities and, and making us more tough on crime. And actual uh, in reality, it's just a ban on assault weapons or something like that. Um, so another example, I had a couple more videos. Some of them are going to be cut for time, but I had a couple more videos of, of Joe Biden showing off his new tough guy persona. And, uh, the one that I definitely didn't want to cut is him talking about how we took on big pharma and we won. So let's go ahead and play. I think it's clip four. Not this year. We beat pharma this year. We beat pharma this year and it mattered. We're going to change people's lives. Finally beat Pharma. All right. I just have to say one thing first. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just have to get this off my chest. How can he say those words when he mandated the vaccine and pharma pharmaceutical companies made billions and billions and billions? Joe Biden is the number one salesman for the pharmaceutical industry. Literally. How can he say that with a straight face? That is just a, uh, I, I, I'm going to have to bite my tongue. I know it's unbelievable. Not only that, but the the different protections that the the big pharma yeah. companies had, uh, you know, in terms of liability and all of this stuff. It it's unbelievable that they're trying to twist, and, and we talk about this on a weekly basis. That they try to twist reality, they try to spin this narrative into to fit whatever worldview that they're pursuing that week. I mean, we already talked about the whole defund the police. Remember that that episode. I don't know, maybe it was like five months ago where they were trying to say that that was a Republican idea to defund yeah. the police. It's unbelievable what these people try to spin. And this might be one of the most egregious examples of 2022. 
Jim, I'll well, let you talk on this. Well, well, the reason he's saying that is because uh, I think in the Inflation Reduction Act or something uh, crammed in somewhere, nobody, we, we never actually learn about where these things come from because we don't actually pass bills in a regular order like we used to do for decades. Uh, everything's just crammed in somewhere and then it's sprung upon us. And there you go. But apparently he's referring to the fact that the federal government is now able to negotiate lower drug prices for Medicaid and Medicare, either both or just one. Uh, so great. And he actually, in that later in that speech, it's not in the clip, but he bragged about like, no senior citizen will have to ever pay more than $2,000 out of pocket over the course of a year for all of their medications. Like, oh, well, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> if you're not on, if you're not on government assistance and you're not in a government healthcare plan, guess what? You don't get those low prices. Uh, sure. the, the big, big pharma is not going to be losing money on this deal. Uh, they, you may, they may be giving these drugs away at a lower price to people on Medicaid, Medicare, but people with regular insurance are going to be paying higher prices for those. That's guaranteed. That's how that works. And, uh, you know, that's how this is going to work as well. But yeah, Chris, you mentioned it. Um, you know, Big Pharma's best friend is Biden and the Democrats over these last two years of mandating these, these COVID vaccines. But you know how you could really beat Big Pharma? You could end the indemnity from harm that the COVID mm. vaccine manufacturers have enjoyed for now going on three years. When does that end, by the way? I mean, is this going to be after the 20th rushed booster that we have to all take in 2025? I mean, or or is the answer never? Because it sure as hell feels like never. Right. And if you really want to hold big pharma responsible and actually reduce their um, outsized profits by mandating governments buy these and distribute these, these vaccines everywhere, uh, you would actually allow people harmed by the COVID vaccine to sue for damages like they would for every other vaccine that's ever been developed. And that way, Big Pharma would be incentivized to make vaccines that actually are and act like vaccines instead of a therapeutic medicine. Mm. And they would actually be incentivized by having their companies ruined by making 100% sure or as sure as humanly possible that the vaccines they produce are safe and don't have uh, lots of harmful side effects for people. But Nobody talks about that. Nobody asks that in the White House press briefing. When are you going to, uh, you know, waive this amazing gift that we gave Big Pharma by allowing them to be held harmless for any damages their vaccines might cause? Not this year. We beat Pharma this year. <laughs> Sorry, I had to play that one more time. Justin, unmute yourself. I'm going to go to you first uh, for this wrap up question. And uh, this just reframing my my premise for all of this thing that I think that Joe Biden, after being just whipped politically for the last couple of years, has now embraced this dark Brandon persona where he's just going to full throttle, just push through all of it. Everything that he can, whether it's, you know, shoving his real agenda in, inside some, uh, you know, piece of legislation that's presented as being a, a compromise or whether it's just moving full force with executive orders. I think that he's going to do all of this because he's got no concern about being politically viable next time because chances are he's not going to run for president for a second term. He might not be viable so, at all. <laughs> exactly. So, so, uh, you know, Speak on any aspect of that. Do you agree with my premise? Uh, you know, have at it. Viable. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they they're they're trying. Big Pharma's trying to keep Joe alive. That's for yeah. sure. Um, <laughs> so um, and active too. Uh, so I, I think that the biggest thing, which we actually didn't talk about and don't have time to talk about it now. Oh, jeez. Uh, at length. But the biggest thing, really, the thing that sort of ties into everything that we did mention is that I believe the White House is gearing up for some kind of a push to create a 
a central bank digital currency, a programmable new currency, a new dollar to supplement the existing printed dollar that can be uh, sort of tracked and controlled and manipulated. And uh, the White House put out a, it was part of the executive order that came out in March, 2022, calling for a study for this and for proposed legislation. Um, and uh, the timelines for that were six to uh, six and seven months for some of these reports to start coming out. That's actually coming up right now. September, October is six to seven months. So I think we're, we're going to see very soon. Uh, and it may not be until after the election that they really try to push it because depending on how the election goes, they might change their strategy a little bit, but this is the, this is the, this to them is the golden ticket. This allows them to do anything because if you can control how people spend their money, if you can, with a push of a button, create more money whenever you want, if you can easily distribute that money whenever you want, if you can, uh, uh, track it and say, well, you know, we're going to put a carbon pricing element to all of the money that you spend, or you can't spend it on ammunition or whatever, then that gives them the ability or the fed to essentially control all of society. And I, and I think that touches on literally every issue that you could possibly think of and I think they're going to to craft the legislation based on the evidence that I've seen, which again, we don't have time to go into, but based on the evidence I've seen, I think they're going to craft the legislation creating this or the executive order creating this because they haven't ruled out that they might be able to do this just via executive order, which I think is insane, but I think they're going to try to make that argument that, um, that the Fed might be the ones that actually decide how right. this is used on a day-to-day -day basis, which is what they do right now with the dollar. So you could literally have the you could wait you could literally have a currency coming out within a, a, a few years where the Fed just wakes up one day and says you know what can't buy ammunition with our money anymore and there would be no legislation it would just be an edict from the Fed and uh, yeah you know we're not we're not saying you can't get ammunition we're not restricting your ability to get it we're just saying you can't use money to get it <laughs> so I mean you know, that could happen it really could and I and I do think they're gearing up for that. And it's, there's going to be a big push so, for this in the next few months. It's it's quite a tease for what will have to be a future episode. Yes, sure. So we're going to go back to the barter system. Awesome. I'll <laughs> yeah, trade you right. two sheep for those two, uh, you know, blocks. <laughs> that's right. All right. Uh, yeah, we are out of time. As you can hear the music playing, that is my uh, get off the stage music. I want to thank everyone for tuning into this episode of the In the Tank podcast. If you're an audio only listener catching this on a Friday, join us a day earlier on Thursday for the live show. We are streaming on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Rumble. You can join the conversation, put in your comments and questions. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also help spread the message that we're trying to spread on this uh, channel just by doing a couple of things. Won't cost you a nickel, but it'll only cost you a second or two. Just hit that like button, share this content, leave a comment under there. All these things help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at in the tank pod. If you have any questions, suggestions for the show, feel free to email us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and always visit heartland.org. And Justin, same question. At Justin T. Haskins on Facebook, Twitter, Parlor, Getter, on all the other social media platforms. I don't actually, I don't think there are any other social media platforms, <laughs> but that's something like that. And Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Stoppingsocialism.com, 
once again, we got a lot of content up there. Bernie is a leading contender for 2024. So oh, check it out. Yeah. <laughs> Feel right, the burn fantastic. again. <laughs> fantastic. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>